Part One of the Lost Island of Atlantis. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Lost Island of Atlantis by E. T. Fletcher. Part One. The Latin historian Lucius Annaeus Florus, in describing the progress of the Roman arms in Spain, speaks of the awe with which Decimus Brutus beheld, for the first time, the sun descend into the broad Atlantic, and its fires become quenched in the illimitable western ocean. The Roman leader would perhaps have been still more impressed with the solemnity of the scene, had he thought it possible that beneath those waves there lay a buried world, that a great island with all its tenants had sunk ages ago in its depths, and that a civilization older than the lore of Egypt or the wisdom of Etruria had found amid these waters a cradle and a grave. He might have philosophized mournfully on the uncertain tenure of all human greatness, on the evanescence of a national splendor whose very sepulchres had perished and on the special destiny of a commonwealth so utterly destroyed as to leave to after ages its very existence a matter of a debatable inquiry. From old time the finger of tradition has pointed to the West as the peculiar abode of a happier and more favoured race. The gardens of the Hesperides, the islands of the blessed, the born of the Atlantids, the Western Ethiopians, the Atlantis of Plato, these are legends familiar to all. Not only has Euripides, in one of the choral songs of his Hippolytus, celebrated the happy isles where the winds blow ever softly, and the ambrosial streams flow fast by the palaces of Jove, but Pindar himself, whose birth precedes that of Herodotus by nearly a century, speaks in his second Olympiac of the island of the blessed, for with him there is but one island, fanned by ocean breezes and adorned by every blessing of fruit and flower. Thus also a modern poet Tennyson, in those fine lines of the Mort d'Artour, suggested possibly by a well-known passage in the Fourth Odyssey, sings of, quote, The island valley of Avilion, where falls not hail or rain or any snow, nor ever wind blows loudly, but it lies deep meadowed, happy, fair with orchard lawns and bowery hollows crowned with summer sea. End quote. Even beyond the limits of classic story, everywhere and always has this oldest of legends held an abiding place in the hearts and memories of all men. Still do the inhabitants of the Aran Isles on the edge of the great western main believe that from time to time they see the shores of a happy island rise above the waves. Still in the time of Marco Polo a similar tradition prevailed among the Singalese. The sagas of the north yet speak of the island of Atle, and even the Japanese Ainos of the furthest east retain the memory of a time when there was no land but islands, and when the first of the race, after drifting long on the ocean, landed at one of these and lived in a garden of delights for many years. Nor is this all. 
these western seeds were claimed as the wellspring and fountainhead of intellectual culture doubtless much of what we call mythic fable is but symbolism or allegory divine influences clad in anthropomorphic robes or philosophic sequence given in the form of narrative but sharply and clearly from the mists of mythos and legend stands forth the story of atlantis its pragmatic truthfulness is evinced by the choice of solon who selected it as the subject of an epopee as well as by the solemnity and eagerness with which the story is brought forward by plato as an ancient and family heirloom even so grave a writer as strabo is of opinion that what plato relates of the atlantis is no mere invention and the priests of sais themselves confessed that the antiquity of egypt pale before that of the atlantids who invaded egypt in arms and sowed the seeds of its earliest cultivation atlantis was the daughter of atlas but atlas had also a daughter named merope once the meropes or speaking men looking on language or articulate speech as the sign and token of civilized humanity mercury himself the god of eloquence and persuasion appears in the theogony of old rome as the grandson of atlas with ovid he is atlantiades and atlantis pleonesque nepos so also horace as witness his ode commencing mercury facunde nepos atlantis qui feros cultus hominum recentum vosse formasticatus compare also in this connection logos with lego in the beginning was the word thus also dante non ragionam di lor and hamlet speaks of the brute that wants discourse of reason circe appears in the odyssey as Theos, a sacred divinity but with a special attribute of theesa or gifted with articulate speech our word dumb is the analogue of the teutonic dum which signifies witless and in the same spirit the slaves superciliously denote their german neighbours by a term signifying voiceless or without words a similar meaning is attached to the greek nipios whose analysis presents the same results later writers place the meropes on the nile but the old home of the atlantids was the atlas range in western africa even in pliny's time they had not advanced further eastward than libya the story of atlantis appears in the timaeus of plato in the following shape Quote, listen now socrates to a story very strange indeed yet in every respect true as it was once related by solon the wisest of the seven sages he was the kinsman and intimate friend of our great-grandfather tropides as he himself often tells us in his poems and he informed our grandfather critias as the old man himself in turn told us that this state athens had formerly achieved great and admirable actions the knowledge of which had nevertheless been lost through lapse of time and the decay of mankind one act in particular being more illustrious than the rest 
in remembrance of which it were fitting that we should not only return you thanks but also in full assembly hymn forth to the goddess our true and just acclaim of praise i will acquaint you with that ancient story which i indeed received from no mere youth for at that time critias as he himself said was almost ninety years old and i myself about ten in egypt said he in the delta about the summit of which the streams of the nile are divided is the district nomos surnamed saitic the chief city of which is sais whence also came the king amasis and it had a presiding divinity whose name is in the egyptian tongue nath which they say corresponds with the greek athena and the people professed to be great friends of the athenians and united with them in a sort of close alliance solon said that on his arrival thither he was very honourably received and especially on his inquiring about ancient affairs of those priests who possessed superior knowledge in such matters he perceived that neither himself nor any one of the greeks so to speak had any antiquarian knowledge at all and once on a time desirous of inducing them to narrate their ancient stories he undertook to describe those events which had formerly happened among us in days of yore those about the first Veronius and niobe and again after the deluge of deucalion and pyrrha how they survived together with their posterity paying due attention to the different ages in which these events are said to have occurred on which one of their extremely ancient priests exclaimed solon you greeks are always children and aged greek there is none you are all youths in intelligence for you hold no ancient opinions derived from remote tradition nor any system of discipline that can boast of a hoary old age and the cause of this is the multitude and variety of destruction that have been and will be undergone by the human race the greater indeed arising from fire and water others of less importance from ten thousand other contingencies the truth is however that in all places where there is neither intense cold nor immoderate heat the race of man is always found to exist sometimes in less sometimes in greater number and all the noble great or otherwise distinguished achievements performed either by ourselves or by you or elsewhere of which we have heard the report all these have been engraved in our temples in very remote times and preserved to the present day while on the contrary with you and all other nations they are only just committed to writing and all other modes of transmission which states require when again at the usual period a current from heaven rushes on them like a pestilence and leaves the survivors among you both destitute of literary attainments and unacquainted with music and thus you become young again as at first knowing nothing of the events of ancient times either in our country or yours as to the things solon which you have just related from your antiquities they differ indeed but little from puerile fables for in the first place you mention only one deluge of the earth whereas there have been many before 
and in the next place you are unacquainted with that most noble and excellent race of men who once inhabited your country from whom you and your whole present state are descended though only a small remnant of this admirable people is now remaining your ignorance in this matter resulting from the fact that their posterity for many generations died without speaking to posterity by writing for long before the chief deluge a city of athenians existed regulated by the best laws both in military and all other matters whose noble deeds and civil institutions are said to have been the most excellent of all that we have heard to exist under heaven many and mighty deeds of your state then are here recorded in writing in our sacred records and call forth your admiration nevertheless there is one in particular which in magnitude and valour surpasses them all for these writings relate what a prodigious force your city once overcame when a mighty warlike power rushing from the atlantic sea spread itself with hostile fury over all europe and asia that sea indeed was then navigable and had an island fronting that mouth which you in your tongue call the pillars of hercules and this island was larger than libya and asia put together and there was a passage hence for travellers of that day to the rest of the islands as well as from those islands to the whole opposite continent which surrounds that the real sea for as respects what is within the mouth here mentioned it appears to be a bay with a kind of narrow entrance and that sea is indeed a true sea and the land that entirely surrounds it may truly and most correctly be called a continent in this atlantic island then was formed a powerful league of kings who subdued the entire island together with many others and parts also of the continent besides which they subjected to their rule parts of libya as far as egypt and europe also as far as tyrrhenia the whole of this force then being collected in a powerful league undertook at one blow to enslave both your country and ours and all the land besides that lies within the mouth this was the period solon when the power of your state was universally celebrated for its virtue and strength for surpassing all others both in magnanimity and military skill sometimes taking the lead of the greek nation at others left to itself by the defection of the rest and brought into the most extreme danger it still prevailed raised the trophy over its assailants kept from slavery those not as yet enslaved ensured likewise the most ample liberty for all of us without exception who dwell within the pillars of hercules subsequently however through violent earthquakes and deluges which brought desolation in a single day and night the whole of your warlike race was at once merged under the earth and the atlantic island itself was plunged beneath the sea and entirely disappeared whence even now the sea is neither navigable nor to be traced out being blocked up by the great depth of mud which the subsiding island produced the above o socrates is the sum of what the elder critias repeated from the narration of solon thus far the timaeus in the critias plato enters upon a more minute description of the island 
The speaker here is a Greek. In the Timaeus it was an Egyptian. It is Critias himself who thus discourses. Quote, First of all, then, let us recollect that it is about nine thousand years since war was proclaimed between those dwelling outside the pillars of Hercules and all those within them, which war we must now describe. Of the latter party, then, this city was the leader and conducted the whole war, and of the former the kings of the Atlantic island, which we said was once larger than Libya and Asia, but now sunk by earthquakes, a mass of impervious mud, which hinders all those sailing on the vast sea from effecting a passage hither. As we remarked at first concerning the allotment of the gods, that they distributed the whole earth here into larger and there into smaller portions, procuring for themselves temples and public sacrifices, so Poseidon in particular, taking as his lot the Atlantic island, begat children by a mortal woman, and settled in some such spot of the island as we are about to describe towards the sea but in the centre of the whole island was a plain which is said to have been the fairest of all plains and distinguished for the excellence of its soil near this plain and at its centre about fifty stadia distant was a mountain with short acclivities on this dwelt one of these men who in primitive times sprang from the earth by name evanor who lived with a wife leucippe and they had an only daughter, Clito. Now, when this girl arrived at marriageable age, and her father and mother were dead, Poseidon, becoming enamoured, made her his mistress, and circularly enclosed the hill on which she dwelt, forming the sea and land into alternate zones, greater and less, turning, as it were, two out of land and three out of sea, from the centre of the island, all equally distant, so as to be inaccessible to men. For at that time ships and navigation were not known, and he himself, with his divine power, agreeably adorned the centre of the island, causing two fountains of water to shoot upwards from beneath the earth, one cold and the other hot, and making every variety of food to spring abundantly from the earth. He also begat and brought up five twin male children, and after distributing all the Atlantic island into ten parts, he bestowed on the first-born of the eldest pair his mother's dwelling and the allotment about it, this being the largest and best. And he appointed him king of all the rest, making the others governors, and giving to each the dominion over many people and an extensive territory. He likewise gave all of them names, to the eldest, who was the king, the name of Atlas, from whom, as the first sovereign, both the island and sea were termed Atlantic, and to the twin born after him, who had received for his share the extreme parts of the island towards the pillars of Hercules, as far as the region which now in that country is called Gadeirica, he gave the name which in Greek is called Eumelus, but in the language of that country Gadeirus. All these then, and their descendants, dwelt for many generations as rulers in the Sea of Islands, and as we before said, yet further extended their empire to all the country as far as Egypt and Tyrrhenia. By far the most distinguished, however, was the race of Atlas, and among these, the oldest king in succession always handed down the power to his eldest son. 
Many possessions indeed accrued to them through their power from foreign countries, but the greatest part of what they stood in need was provided for them by the island itself. First, such ores as are dug out of mines in a solid state or require smelting, and especially that metal oricalcum, which is now known only by name, but formerly of high celebrity, was dug out of the earth in many parts of the island, being considered the most valuable of all the metals then known, except gold, and it produced an abundance of wood for builders, and furnished food also for tame and wild animals. Moreover, there were comprised within it vast numbers of elephants, for there were abandoned means of support for all animals that feed in marshes and lakes, on mountains and plains, and so likewise for this animal, which by nature is the largest and most voracious of all. Besides these, whatever odorous plants the earth now bears, whether roots or grass or woods or distilling gums or flowers or fruits these it bore and produced them to perfection and yet further it bore cultivated fruits and dry edible fruits such as we use for food all these kinds of food we call vegetables together with all that trees bear as drinks meats and ointments and those also whose fruits such as acorns being used in sport and pleasure are with difficulty hoarded up together with certain dainty fruits for dessert that might provoke the satiated palate or please the seek all this that once existing and warmly acclimated island bore sacred beautiful wonderful and infinite in quantity receiving all this then from the earth the inhabitants employed themselves also in erecting temples royal habitations ports and docks over the whole region the temple of poseidon himself was a stadium in length three plethora in breadth and of a height to correspond having something of a barbaric appearance all the outside of the temple except the pinnacles they lined with silver but the pinnacles with gold and as to the interior the roof was formed wholly of ivory variegated with gold and oricalcum they also placed in it golden statues the god himself being represented as standing on a chariot holding the reins of six winged horses of such a size as to touch the roof with his head and round him a hundred nereids on dolphins and it contained also many other statues dedicated to private individuals round the outside of the temple likewise golden images were placed of all the men and women that were descended from the ten kings and many other large statues both of kings and private people both from the city itself and the foreign countries over which they had dominion there was an altar too of corresponding size and workmanship with these ornaments and the excellence of the palace was proportioned to the magnitude of the government and also to the order observed in the sacred ceremonies next they used fountains both from the cold and hot springs of which there was a great abundance either of which was wonderfully well adapted for use from its sweetness and excellence and round them they fixed their habitations and excellently watered plantations together with their water tanks some open to the heaven but other for winter use roofed over for warm baths on crossing the three exterior harbours 
one was met by a wall which went completely round and enclosed in one the entrance to the canal and the entrance to the sea the whole of this part indeed was covered with many and densely crowded dwellings and the canal and largest harbour were full of vessels and merchants coming from all parts causing from their multitude all kinds of shouting tumult and in all day long and night through the whole region was said to be exceedingly lofty and precipitous towards the sea and the plain about the city which encircles it is itself surrounded by mountains sloping down to the sea being level and smooth all much extended three thousand stadia in one direction and the central part of the sea above two thousand and this district of the whole island was turned toward the south the mountains around it too were at that time celebrated as exceeding in number size and beauty all those of the present time having in them many hamlets enriched with villages as well as rivers lakes and marshes furnishing ample supplies of food for all cattle both tame and wild with timber of various descriptions and in abundant quantity for every individual purpose the plain then being thus by nature was improved as follows by many kings in a long course of time it was of square shape mostly straight and oblong and where it ended they bounded it by a trench dug round it the depth breadth and length of which for a work of man's making besides the other connected undertakings we can scarcely believe though still we must report that we heard it was excavated to the depth of a plethrum and the breadth was a stadium in every part the whole excavation round the plain being ten thousand stadia in length this receiving the streams coming down from the mountains and conducted all round the plain approached the city in some parts and in this way was allowed to flow out to the bay from above likewise straight canals were cut about a hundred feet broad along the plain back into the ditch near the sea distant from another about one hundred stadia and it was by this that they brought down the timber from the mountains to the city and carried on the rest of their shipping traffic cutting transverse canals of communication into each other and towards the city their harvest also they gathered twice in the year in winter availing themselves of the rains and in summer introducing on the land the streams from the trenches as to the quantity of land it was ordered that of the men on the plain fit for service each individual leader should have his allotment each allotment amounted in extent to a hundred stadia and the total of the lots being sixty thousand and of those from the mountains and the rest of the country there was said to be an incalculable number of men to all of whom according to their dwelling and villages were assigned certain lots by their respective leaders to each leader likewise the task was appointed of furnishing for war the sixth portion of a war chariot to make up a total of ten thousand two riding horses and a two-horse car without a driver's seat having a mounted charioteer to direct the horses with another to dismount and fight at the side also two heavy-armed soldiers two archers two slingers three each of light-armed men stone-shooters and javelin men with four sailors to make up a complement of one thousand two hundred ships 
thus were the military affairs of this city arranged and as respects the nine others there were different other arrangements which it would be tedious to narrate and as respects official situations and honours the following were the arrangements made for the commencement of the ten kings each individual in his own district and over his own city ruled supreme over the people and the laws constraining and punishing whomsoever he pleased and the government and commonwealth in each was regulated by the injunctions of poseidon as the law handed them down and inscriptions were made by the first kings on a column of auricalcum which was deposited in the centre of the island in the temple of poseidon where they assembled every fifth year which they afterwards changed to every sixth year taking an equal part both for the entire state and its supernumeraries and thus collected they consulted concerning the common will and inquired what transgressions each had committed judging them accordingly such then and so great being the power at that time in these places the deity transferred it these regions as report goes on the following pretexts for many generations as long as the natural power of the god sufficed them they remained obedient to the laws and kindly affected towards the divine nature to which they were allied but when the divine portion within them became extinct through much and frequent admixture of the mortal nature and the manners of men began to hold sway then through inability to bear present events they began to exhibit unbecoming conduct and to the intelligent beholder appeared base destroying the fairest among their most valuable possessions zeus however the god of gods who ruled according to the laws and is able to see into such things perceiving an honourable race in a condition of wretchedness and wishing to inflict punishment on them that they might become more diligent in the practice of temperance collected all the gods into their own most ancient habitation which indeed being situate in the centre of the whole world beholds all things and having assembled them he said End quote thus abruptly ends the critias if completed the termination has been lost the extracts from this dialogue and from the timaeus will sufficiently show the form which the mythos had then assumed such is the narrative which has served as a text for the learned labours of bailey budbeck kircher beckham buffon whitehurst and others it might seem superfluous to revive the discussion of this vexata questio already handled by writers of acknowledged eminence but the ever-widening circle of human knowledge permits to all to supplement or illustrate however imperfectly the speculations of those who have gone before and the recent investigations in relation to the basques and their language the deep-sea soundings of the atlantic and the amber fauna of central europe seemed to present in this connection some points of interest worthy of consideration End of part one.